We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. did this prank, me and Rel, where our penises are stuck in a Chinese finger trap. And we went into this barbershop in the hood in Atlanta, and we walked in the barbershop, our dicks are in a Chinese finger trap, and we're stretching them back and forth, and we went to the barber. We're like, yo, our dicks are stuck in this thing. Can you give us your scissors to cut us out? And the guy went red. He was like, oh, hell no! And he started looking for his gun, couldn't find his gun, found a knife, chased us out with a knife. We're stuck at the dick in this thing, like, oh, ah, ah runs after us and my safe word is popcorn when i call popcorn that means like yep it's it's time to cut it's too dangerous but i had so much uh, adrenaline i forgot my safe word and i just started yelling goosebumps so i'm looking at my crew who's hidden in cars and like they have backpack cameras and all these like i'm like goosebumps 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 and they're like oh fuck popcorn and like security jumped out grabbed the guy's knife yell cut Reveal the dick trap snaps. Rel's like falling down, rail, rolled under a car, and like the guy, we were like, "It's a hidden camera prank! It's a hidden camera prank!" And the guy was like, "Oh, y'all are hilarious, man! When's this shit come out? I'll sign a release, no problem." Eric Andre is crazy. He's an amazing comedian who's brilliant and childish. I love the Eric Andre show so much, especially those crazy interviews where he just screws with people and destroys the set and attacks every convention of the American talk show. I also loved his hilarious new Netflix special, Legalize Everything, and I can't wait for his upcoming prank movie, Bad Trip. Let's get into it. It's Eric Andre on Toure Show. You know, one thing I love about you, and especially, you know, doing a deep dive on the show, which is so amazing, you are not scared of insulting people. These people come on, they don't know what you're doing. I I feel like if I ask somebody a question that bothers them, they're going to be like, oh, I don't like that guy. I'm mad at that guy. Oh, right, right. You don't care. Well, I'm not out to hurt anybody. There's no malicious intent. And I'm in character. Right, you don't hurt anybody. Yeah, I'm in character while I'm doing the show. So the character of the show host is like an idiot. So uh, I, I I kind of, I'm, I'm wearing a mask in a sense. Um, much like the woman that walked by in the frame behind you. When she wore a mask. She wore a, a literal mask. I'm wearing a metaphoric mask on my show. So uh, I, I hope nobody takes it personal. I'm just fucking around. No, I don't think anybody takes it personal, but like, you know, you are you're you're pushing the envelope. You're pushing oh, yeah. people's buttons, yeah. and you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I don't want them to be upset. I don't want you to be upset. You know, and like, I'm like, well, I'm like you in this situation or a situation where I'm not in character. I'm very like, oh, if if I send a text message, this is how like needy and weird and pathetic I am. If I send a text message to anybody. And they don't respond in five minutes. I'm like, they're mad at me. They fucking hate me. <laughs> totally, they totally. Fucking hate me. Totally. I must have said something insulting. What did I say? What did I say? Uh, what did I, say? I texted John Favreau two days ago. I go, because my fr- we have a mutual friend. And I go, I heard you have a good brisket recipe. Because I want to make a brisket. He didn't respond. My world crumbled. I was like, I fucked up on the Lion King. He thinks I'm a hack. I went, like, I spiraled. I was like, I'll never be in Iron Man 5. Because <laughs> I feel like you seem fearless. Is that like... I'm pretty you, anxious. You, you, no, it's the opposite. A lot of people say, I just want to get some hands in it. I just trying to walk. I know it's like, uh, 
nauseating okay. for the viewers to people get seasick when I walk. Um, I'm actually pretty anxious. I just know that in those situations, those high stakes situations, like there's there's comedy in those hills. That's how I feel. So like, I, I'm, I'm miserable while we're filming a time, a times, a times, plural, so yeah. But uh, I know in the editing bay, pain, pain during shooting is pleasure in the editing bay. Yeah. So I, I have to sacrifice my comfort in those moments to get good footage. So, I, cause, so even when you're in the midst of it, you're feeling the pain. You're not like I'm fearless. Like the like the stage me is fearless. I I, I got better season after season, but it is like it's pretty um, nerve wracking, especially when people are like attacking you or taking out weapons, or you're surrounded by like bikers for Trump, and you're trying to. Uh, troll Alex Jones. I showed the I showed the show to my kids who are twelve and eleven, and they kept saying, "Why does he keep destroying the desk?" And, <laughs> and, and they kept coming back question. to that. And I tried to explain like the desk as this as a symbol of like normalcy in ninety nine percent of shows. And your show is unpredictable, and it's an anti show, and yeah. so destroying the desk is a sense of like we we are attacking the normal paradigms of doing these shows they they didn't really understand that but i mean like <laughs> you got too deep you went over their heads but i mean like you you love to destroy your set and then immediately put it right back together yes cuz my character's trapped in purgatory so it's just this like you can't uh, get out yeah it's it's just yeah he's trapped he's he's trapped in this what's the word besides purgatory it's just, uh, it's this existential, it's Groundhog's Day. Groundhog's yeah. Day, I think, is better. Well, well, you, know, you know what kills me is when you shoot people, when you shoot your stage manager, when you shoot the hell out of Hannibal. It yeah, just makes me die laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I can't even control it. But, like, what, why is that funny? I, I, because it's, like, the wrong, absolute wrong thing to do. And I think like, you know, comedy is when you inject absurdity, when you distort the truth. So it's like the last thing that would happen on a talk show. It's like every choice we make is like the, if you were, if I was an actual talk show host, the worst choice over and over and over and over again. It is like a show of just like bad choices. Like the editing choices are like intentionally wrong. Like my questions are completely inappropriate. I'm completely inept. It's like the talk show is one of the oldest like templates for like since the dawn of television in the forties, you had Steve Allen show. It's one of the oldest templates for a television show. So it's like, everybody's familiar with it across the world. So it's the easiest one to kind of uh, dismantle. What happened after Hannibal kicked Flavor Flav in the face. Uh, we cut to uh, we cut to commercial, and uh, we came back, and he was dancing <laughs> on the set. He kicked, he kicked Flavor Flav with his knee to the face. What did what what happened? I mean, it got crazy. He took it like a champion. He did. Uh, you know, I can't. Uh, I'd rather keep the mystery alive, to be honest with you. Because in my <laughs> mind, he got really bad, and he was like, fuck you guys. I'm oh, he's bad. He still is bad. And I bring it up. We're doing a new season. We're doing a fifth season, and we, I bring it up with another guest. And, like, my writing partner was like, you're rehashing that? Like, <laughs> like you're bringing that back up and putting it back out there? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll keep that one a mystery. <laughs> So look, what's is the it, where are you? Are you in New York? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah, is this your house? Is this your apartment? House? Yeah, yeah. Brownstone, whatever. I house. like your I like your book collection. Thank you. It's a couple of books. We try to, you know, very literate. We try. Be friends with Jordan Carlos. I guess. Yes, he's a good man. He's a good man. I see Wyatt Snack a lot. I don't know if you're. I don't know if you, he's. Oh uh, uh, yeah, here. Good, he's a good man. He's a, a good man. A lot of comics are in and around here. Chris Rock used to live around the corner from here. Now he's. Oh, uh, you have all the black comedians on your it's, on it's your block. It's all. It's all coming. So, what's the difference between 
the real Eric Andre and the guy who goes on the character you play on stage, not just in the show, but also in Legalize Everything. And like, I'm he's not the same guy, is it? I would say I'm a lot more suburban and boring <laughs> and hardworking. And I'm like a, uh, anxious and work obsessed and like, I'm kind of a drip. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like eat healthy and shit and exercise. I feel like hanging out with you would be like just a, a breathless, just crawl of just craziness happening one after the other. I can't keep up with I, I kind of get I kind of get it all out of my system on stage or in front of the cameras. I used to be have that much energy and hyperactivity, but like I kind of get it out in my performance and then I spend the like my private life trying to like calm my anxiety. I meditate. I uh, just like install, I got a jacuzzi at my house, you know, I, it's like, I try to go to sauna. I'm like one half is black, but the other half is very Jewish. Right. So I, I have to do everything to calm my anxiety. Well, you know, just this year I found out that I'm like part Jewish. Really? Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that until it was like, a, like my sister did a 23 and me to be like, we're like a third Jewish. I like, can see you got a little Andy Samberg kind of. Yo. Let you got a little Eric Andre face going on. Totally. Sandberg is a whole thing because um, people used to tell me I looked like him. I'm like, I don't see it. And they would tell me that I sound like him. And mm. I'm like, I don't see it. And then I went to an Al Gore book party and his uncle was there. And he made like a beeline across the room like, yo, dude, we tease Andy about sounding like you all the time. Wow. And I was like, wow, like Andy actually like hears like I, I wow, I get I get I sound like Seth Rogen and <laughs> yes, I look like yes. you when my hair was growing out my mom's coworker thought I was Jay Cole. I got Ray <laughs> Allen for like a year and Andy Samberg. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um so do you do you do you like Andy Kaufman? I love Andy Kaufman. I have a frame look up I have I have a book of his hate mail, which I lost, and I'm, I'm trying to find it because I want to read. I want to read it, <clears throat> and then I have uh, this is on my piano in my house. Oh, uh, perfect. Yeah, when I first started Eric Andre's show, I met with a spiritual advisor, uh-huh. and I'm like not spiritual at all. I am like the biggest skeptic. But I met with a spiritual advisor and she said, you have to pray before you start your journey on your own talk show. You have to you have to pray to the comedy gods. Okay. And me and her like prayed to the comedy gods together. So I closed my eyes. and I, I think Joan Rivers just died. It was like I, I prayed to like Joan Rivers and 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 uh, George Carlin and Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor and Andy Kaufman. And we like did this little like prayer to the comedy gods and. uh so then I like framed a couple. I have like a Richard Pryor frame somewhere in my house. I mean, who are the so who are the who are the fathers, like the comedy fathers of the absurdist, brilliant, crazy Eric Andre shit? And like, mothers and mothers. Oh, I grew up on oh, absolutely Phyllis Diller. Uh, I, I love George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Are you talking about the dead ones or people that are alive? Both of them. Who are the main influences that lead you to do the crazy shit that like throws us off? The living one. I love all the jackass guys. I love Sasha Baron Cohen, Tom Green. Those guys were the first people that I was like, oh, these guys are like risking their life for for like a dumb joke, like being chased with like a hammer or a knife. They're like getting like assaulted by bulls and pythons, like just for our entertainment. And I, it was like this, like, uh, I don't know. It feels like very like altruistic. It's not because they're millionaires, but I, I felt like they were like sacrificing their comfort and well-being just for a laugh. I, I don't know. And I thought they were so, so high stakes, you know, I mean, Bor- Borat, the Borat movie was the hardest I ever laughed in a movie theater. Okay. When I saw okay. Borat the first time, I couldn't believe my eyes. So I mean, it definitely. Those, those are the. Those are the. I love Ren and Stimpy. I love Wonder Shows. In I love Chappelle's oh. Show. Yeah. Uh, I love The Simpsons. A lot of animated stuff. My, uh, Mike, jo- you know, Beavis and Butthead. Um, 
I love uh, Chris Rock stand-up, Chris Tucker stand-up. Um, I mean, these guys are great for I me. Mean, I mean, I feel like, I mean, Borat had me going, how much of this is real and how yeah. much is not? And I don't know where the line is. And that discomfort made me happy because I'm like, you're making me like really, really think and work yeah. and try to figure out like what's what. And you kind of fuck with that and you kind of seem like i'm fucking around up here i don't care if you laugh or not i'm doing my crazy shit um, yeah i mean you know, i was i was so broke when i sold the eric andre show i was on unemployment and i had like 200 bucks in my name so i'm like i don't care if you don't laugh i have a job like you know how incredible that is i have a fucking job i was like broke for the first 10 years of comedy so um yeah i mean what kind of this, this is all this is all i got so you're but you're doing good now I'm doing, I'm doing okay now. I'm How good better. are you doing now? I'm doing better than when I was 23. <laughs> and I would like eat at like the, it, there's a, there's a deli. It's called the Punjabi deli. It's on first and first. It's where it's pre Uber. So when I lived in New York, it was where all the cab drivers would eat. And it was $2 microwaved Indian food. And I would eat there. It probably has no nutritional value. They like just microwave the shit out of it. They would microwave it in styrofoam. And I would eat there every day. And I would eat falafels in the West Village because it was like the only meal that I could get for $2. (laughs) I was doing like chicken shit open mic comedy. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. I heard you talk about you don't care about money. Like, that's not, like, you don't really not care about money. I don't, did I, did I say that? No, I mean, like, money's fucking rad. You can buy shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when did i say that what kind of hippie bullshit is that i bought a house get the fuck out of here where i need you, where uh, you live in i live in um i live in los angeles nice yeah nice. In la on the east side, east um, side. <laughs> where you bed fort green fort green love fort green Fort Green. Uh, yeah. Fort Green. Oh, yeah. Chris Rock, you know, Chris Rock had a, he bought that place. Like, he told me he bought that place right with his, like, first paycheck, like a yeah. $3,000 SNL paycheck, something like that. Because Fort Green was, like, rough when he <laughs> bought it. It he was. was and he's like, now, you don't know my Fort Green. He goes, you have your Fort Green. No, now it's really super smooth. Is there. Did you grow up in New York? No, I grew up in Boston. Boston, fucking hey, dude! You ever go to the Dunkin' Donuts and fucking uh, Alewife, bro? <laughs> dude, you ever you ever fall asleep on the tea and you wake up in fucking Braintree, bro? <laughs> I grew up right next to Braintree. It's called a town called Randolph. <laughs> Braintree, what a fucked name for a city. Braintree, tell me about it. So, 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 wow! You but like Boston is the most racist city in the north. It has to be, well, right? You know, in, in the north, like, yes. But I'm like, am I in Alabama? I went to college there, and it was yeah. like the Alabama. Where'd you go to school? Berkeley College of Waste Your Money Music. <laughs> you didn't learn. I know exactly where that is. You didn't learn great. What did you study? What was your instrument? Upright bass. And you didn't. You didn't feel like you learned. Important I learned. I learned about cool music. jazz bass lines, Daddyo. <laughs> Don't give do, do, do. Yeah, man. Read You're a so intro. punk. I'm surprised to hear you even talk about jazz because you do seem very bad brainsy and punk and like. But but jazz can be punk, you know, like Ornette w- Coleman, Albert Eiler, all those guys that were making that like and like Miles, like F- Miles's fusion stage, all that, all that, yes, like yes. 60s, 70s jazz that was fucking super avant garde is punk rock. And I, I, I still wolf that stuff down. No, Bitches Brew is one of my favorite it's albums. Brew, Live Evil, yeah, all that shit. Yo, what you do at the end of Legalize Everything 
and I don't know how far you want to go in terms of protecting it for people who haven't seen it. Nah, I think like tease it out. I, I, I you used fucking to- blew my mind, and I don't even I don't normally find that shit funny. And I was just like, you talking about when I Facetime the mom or my mangina, the mangina. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like they, I went the out with an exclamation per- point. The director sets it up perfectly, like when you like the behind shot when you pull up your shirt, and I'm like, where is this going? And then like the face, the vagina, it's like, oh my god, this guy you gotta is give fucking the people insane. What, they want. Yeah, you gotta what, give what are you what are you doing there? Well, is it blurred? I can't remember. We blurred it. Uh, yeah, we, it of, yeah, it's blurred. Yeah. Well, we okay. don't we don't see we don't see your whole thing, but we see the hair. You see the hair, okay? So Adult Swim, you have to blur the hair. So I'm making progress. I'm I'm now the hair is unblurred, but the the fruit basket in the back that is that had to be blurred, I think, for Netflix's standards and practices. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm taking it one piece <laughs> of my genitalia at the time. Then I want the next movie I want to put out. I want it rated X. Well, That's my goal. Why you, why do you do that? You know what, that on stage, I wasn't going to put that in the edit at first. Every single show I did last year, people shout out, show your dick, get naked. Men and women scream at me to get naked all throughout my show, every city, internationally. It's like, I'm the naked guy now. (laughs) So I wasn't going to put it in the special, but it just like my editor just like put that in at the very end. And we just thought it was so stupid and funny and the crowd reaction was so good that it was just like this like fuck you to go out on i don't know i don't know you, uh, you gotta give the people what they want people want do, to see my crotch for some reason the, the At first it was me getting it on now people were like you get naked fucking keep getting naked i'm like all right i'll do it, it. Uh, the, the piece with the mom is dope because it goes in a direction you you don't expect her to be so fucking cool right you're trying to get her goat and she's yeah. like I got weed if you want it. Oh, yeah. The mom and, and the mom. I did that joke over and over again in each city. And the mom is always the star of the show. In that bit. But that mom especially was cool and brought up weed organically and tied in the theme themes from the, the whole special and like tied the, the, the beginning to the end. Like that was serendipity. That was incredible. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. 
Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. What are you scared to do in terms of your career? Um, I don't like scuba diving. <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't film underwater. I don't know. Sharks and shit down there. Jellyfish. I mean, if I was in your writer's room, what is it that I could say outside of let's scuba dive? Like, you know, Eric doesn't like scuba diving. Okay. But well, what can I, I say? I, like, let's I do this. Be like, okay, I, I'm not doing that. I think there's good, bad taste and there's bad, bad taste. And I think there's no real, like, never say this or don't talk about this topic. Like everything's on the table. It just depends on the joke and the scenario and the situation and the point of view of the joke. And you kind of have to take it case by case. But if all the writers are dying laughing, that's a good sign. You know what I mean? Because the people I have in the room are very, very smart people, much smarter than me that I trust. So um, I don't know. It's case by case. You got to figure it out. The case- you know, you, you, sometimes you fuck it up. Sometimes you put, I put out. Plenty of shit that's just in poor taste that I just have to, like, live with it out there, so. I mean, the way that you are, it doesn't matter if you're in poor taste. Who cares? I'm Eric Andre. I freaking burn bridges and keep it going. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. I mean, uh, yeah, I think you got to be... You never want to be, like, mean or unlikable. You don't want to just be, like harsh for harsh sake you know so it's gonna be funny so i think you just gotta keep that in mind with each joke i mean a lot of times the joke is on you right so then if you're the big fool in the prank or the joke then like you do whatever you want right i'm always playing the idiot so i'm not like i'm not out to get anybody you know what i mean so um yeah it was very much like that for the prank movie we just did all the all the pranks like show the like the uh good humanitarian nature in people versus like like making people look dumb or punching down or like this you know is, all this the is bad trip this is bad trip yeah i'll send you uh i'll have them send you a link with oh, tiffany okay. haddish tiffany and- Haddish, lil Ra howry michaela conlin and that's it the, the rest everybody else on camera is a real civilian is, it, being is it like borat in that yes You're, it's a narrative movie told entirely with hidden camera pranks with real people real civilian we don't no fake reactions nobody's pretending there's only four actors in it and then everybody else is, is a, can you can you say what the what the premise is yeah it's basically hidden camera dumb and dumber it's borat meets dumb and dumber it's like me and rel are best friends I see the girl of my dreams. Turns out she lives thousands of miles away. We steal his uh, convict, psychotic sister's car, who is played by Tiffany Haddish. We steal her car. We drive across country, and we um, create pranks all along the way. But we tell that entire story through pranks. So we never stop down to tell a story, then go to a prank. Stop down to tell a story, then do a prank. The story and the pranks are interwoven, and we're actually we're getting plot points from real people who don't even know they're on camera. So um, it is experimental. What's the hit when you're doing it, when, you, when you're doing Bad Trip, what's the hit to miss ratio? Like how much are we seeing on, <laughs> on screen versus like, you know, we did it, we tried something, we threw that out, we tried something, that one worked, we tried something, we threw that out. Like, oh, you got to film a lot. You got to film a lot. You got to film like probably 90% of what you film is on the cutting room floor. And like, it's just like the, the cream at the top that makes it. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a, how long did it take to film it? <laughs> Three and a half years. And we started working on it six and a half years ago. Three and a half years. Well, not entirely shooting every day for three and a half years. It was like on and off. And then Rel got a Fox show. And then we had to wait for his show to end to do the reshoots. And Tiffany's schedule was crazy. So it was like like a lot of like filming, editing, watching it, seeing what we fucked up, went back, filmed, edited, seeing what we fucked up, what we needed. It was a lot of like repeating the process over and over again. I mean, in the last three to four years, Tiffany has gone from a star to a massive star. Yeah. yeah, to, yeah. I'm shocked you could even get her on the phone well, at this point. Well, we had to, well, me Rel and I have been friends with her since she was like sleeping in her car. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've known her yeah, for yeah. Like 15 years. 
So I'm sure Rob might have known her longer, but um, she, the only reason, so, and it, that was pennies from heaven, that casting. Uh, um, what happened was Rel, the first day of filming, we did this prank, me and Rel, and Rel's never done hidden camera pranks before. They're incredibly stressful. So we did this prank, me and Rel, where our penises are stuck in a Chinese finger trap. And we went into this barbershop in the hood in Atlanta. And we walked in the barbershop, our dicks are in a Chinese finger trap, and we're stretching them back and forth. And we went to the barber. And we're like, yo, uh, our dicks are stuck in this thing. Can you give us your scissors to cut us out? And the guy went red. He was like, oh, hell no. And he started looking for his gun, couldn't find his gun, found a knife, chased us out with a knife. We're stuck at the dick in this thing. Like, oh, ah, ah. Runs after us, and my safe word is popcorn. When I call popcorn, that means like, yep, it's, it's time to cut. This is too dangerous. But I had so much uh, adrenaline, I forgot my safe word, and I just started yelling goosebumps. So I'm looking at my crew who's hidden in cars, and like they have backpack cameras and all these. Like, I'm like, goosebumps, goosebumps, goosebumps. And they're like, oh, fuck popcorn. And like security jumped out, grabbed the guy's knife, yell cut. Reveal the dick trap snaps. Rel's like falling down, rail, rolled under a car. And like the guy, we were like, it's a hidden camera prank. It's a hidden camera prank. And the guy was like, oh, y'all are hilarious, man. When's this shit come out? I'll sign a release, no problem. And then Rel was pit. He was like, dude, you're going to get me killed. This is fucking dangerous. I got kids. And he was like, he was about to quit. He called Tiffany Haddish. He's like, I, I, I'm doing Eric's movie. It's a nightmare. I almost got killed today. And Tiffany's like dying laughing as he's telling the story. He's like <laughs> near tears. And then she called me five minutes afterwards and she goes, yo, you almost got Rel killed shooting your movie. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, yo, I want to be in your movie. I was like, what? <laughs> and the woman that was set to play her role just dropped out. So we were looking for somebody new and then she just came out of nowhere and she was famous, so we're like, how do we get away with pranks? So we just disguised her. We gave her face tattoos and cornrows, and we, like, changed up her look entirely. And we got away with it. And she was incredible. She's like a prank. She's like comedy on a cellular level. She can do every medium of comedy. Stand-up, acting, pranks, like, you name it. So, wait, what else happened in terms of, like, almost getting killed in the making of this piece? That was one of the worst, for sure. I almost got a bottle smacked over my head at a bar for, like, urinating on a pool table at this, like, <laughs> this, like country, like, honky-tonk bar with, like, this real redneck dude that did not think I was funny at all. And he's like, you get your, I won't, he goes, I don't care where you piss, but you need to get your piss away from me. <laughs> and I'm, like, peeing towards him, and uh, it was like a pee gag. It wasn't my real... Dick, but he couldn't tell it was just like this little hose of shooting fake piss out of the thing and it was like an astronomical amount of piss i had like these two bladders filled with fake piss under my arm so i'm like spraying it all over the bar and he's fucking he goes he, he went all right that's it did a shot of jim beam or something grabbed a bottle and i was like popcorn goosebumps, popcorn, goosebumps. <laughs> yeah oh, and then i was pissed at myself i was like man maybe i should have let him break a bottle over my face and my jeff Tremaine, the guy that directs all the jackass movies he's the producer on it he goes you don't want to get a bottle broken up your face <laughs> he's like we want to be able to film the rest of the movie <laughs> if you had stitches you'd be cut up you'd be you know, staples in your face you're willing to go the nth degree to get yeah. the joke well you know i feel like johnny knoxville sasha baron cohen these guys have set the bar so high that if you don't literally put your life in danger you can't compete with those guys those guys are like the masters you know what i mean all the jackass guys you know, and, and sasha so like uh that's what i'm doing with them like dude, i'm trying to put the stuff out after those guys have set the bar astronomically high so i'm like i don't do it out of pleasure i do it out of like <laughs> what else can i do like that's the competition so <laughs> i mean i imagine you as somebody who's like I don't have safe words, you know, but you. I used you, to not. Oh, we used to do things illegally, no security, no stunt pads. I would do stunts on concrete and wipe out and end up in the hospital. And I, I bashed my hand through a window one time and sliced my hand up. We would, we're idiots. I got arrested two times shooting Eric Andre's show. Like, 
we were idiots. We had no idea how to produce this stuff. We were just going into situations blind. It was so dangerous in the beginning. Then we kind of figured out like what what's like reasonable danger and what you can get away with and what you can't like. You want to break the right rules and not break the wrong. In terms of doing the the Eric Andre show, so what's the most danger in terms of the interviews? What is the most dangerous moment that you've had? Um, the interviews that danger. I mean, Ti walked out; he had had enough, and then he, he walked out three times. Yeah, he kept like getting up, and I'd have to like call him back, and then I'd piss him off again, and he left. And uh, he didn't really have a sense of humor about it. And then he like, worked around afterwards for a while. I was like, is T.I. going to beat me up? And then, uh, and then, um, uh, what's her name? Lauren Conrad walked out. But I never felt danger that was, in the studio. That like, was amazing. The Lauren Conrad moment was amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I showed it to my wife. And she had the same reaction that Lauren did in terms when you throw up and she cringed just like, she was like mirroring Lauren. And then when you ate it, she was like, I'm done. And she's like walking yeah. up. I'm like, you're mirroring Lauren. It's amazing. That's that, fair. that moment is amazing. It's a primal. That's a primal reaction. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> um, do you, how did you not get beat up by T.I.? Because I know he goes to that I think he place. was considering it. I, I think he was considering it. He, like, I kept, like, seeing him. Usually after an interview, they just get in their car and get the fuck out of there. But uh, he lurked around afterwards. And I was just like, after I get the footage I need, I'm, like, chummy and friendly. And I was just like, hey, man, that was great. Every time I walk by him, like, walk into my office, I'd be like, hey, that was great. Oh, man, thanks for coming. And he was just like, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, ah, man, you're crazy. Woo! Love your music. Woo! I was just like super positive afterward. It is psychological torture. I'm like making them completely lose their mind. And then afterwards, I'm like, man, you were so great. So so much fun working with you. And da, da, da. I mean, how often do you get the publicist calling like, what the fuck was that? We didn't expect that. Oh. We're upset. That happens constantly, but I, I let my producer deal with it. The best was we filmed, we interviewed Robin Givens this season. And, you know, I have like cockroaches coming from the ceiling and maggots crawling out of the desk and the food and stuff like that. She's, she's like losing her mind. I had an alligator on a skateboard. She's losing her mind. She had no idea what the show was. She's panicking. I like brought up Mike Tyson. And then like, turns out later, I found this out. My, my, uh, First AD or second AD was like, dude, her agent is flipping out and trying to end the interview. And my ADs just were sending the agent out on like a wild goose chase. They're like, I think the way to the studio is that way. And then they'd send her in a living room. No, 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 it's that way. No, 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 it's that way. Oh, shit. Wait, wait, where, where are you trying to go? Oh, talk to him. Oh, talk to her. And like sending them all around. And then when they all cut, she came out. I was like, I think your agent was pissed or something. And she's like, I'm the pissed agent. And rah, 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 rah. I was like, all right, well, see you later. We got the footage. You signed the release ahead of time. Bye-bye. She was fucking pissed. Robin Gibbons was cool afterwards. She was stressed during it, but uh, she was cool afterwards. So who, I know season five it is? Yeah, out? we're on the fifth season, yeah. It's almost done, right? Yeah, we're finishing editing next week. So we who's, filmed everything. Who's the one that you're like, I cannot wait for you to see me in this one because it goes completely off the rails. Omarion from You Got Served is one of the best interviews of the entire series. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's incredible. Can I don't, you yeah. say anything that happens? Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know how to say it without ruining it, but... Uh, he didn't like walk up, but he had had enough. We had like, we, we, I go, um, we like offered him sushi and we rolled out this like naked Japanese woman with sushi all over her body. And then I was like, no, you don't look like a sushi guy. You look like a chili guy. And we wheeled her away and we brought out this naked guy who, who's a fake George Clooney with dripping chili all over his naked body. <laughs> and we handed Omari a ladle. You're like, you want some chili? I mean, like it's healthy, it's organic. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I, I, well, I I don't want to say too much. I, I feel like I won't do it justice, by the Tell way. Tell me about the grizzly bear. Grizzly bear was cool. Like, bear was cool. 
I mean, oh, the bear, bear, it's like the bear, bear came works. out and, and ambled bear... over to the desk and you were like, fuck this, I'm out of here. Yeah. Those are simpler times. Those are simpler days. <laughs> like but, uh, The bear was cool. Bears are cool. Bears are cool unless you sneak up on them. Yeah, but you were shook, as you should have been. Yeah, it's a fucking bear. It's just going <laughs> to kill you. You could just you're fucking like, snap. You're like a mosquito compared right. to... It's like, with mosquitoes talking to me? Let me give some props to fucking Hannibal, because he's one of the great comedians of today. And he's such a great, like, peanut butter to your jelly. Because, yes. like, you play <laughs> stupid, but I know that you're really smart, which right. allows me to love the character you're playing. Um, he's just like, I'm like, he's your really smart friend who's kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? And like, it's just such a brilliant sort of like a perfect combination. Yeah. He's a great straight man. I think like Chris Rock has the best quote. He called me up. I never met him. And he called me between season two and three. And he was like, I love your show. I want to do your show. The reason your show works is because there's no two black guys on earth that have less in common than you and Hannibal Burst. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like the perfect straight man. And he's the, and he's also like, he also is psycho. So like he's the straight man when it's just me and him. And then you think he's a straight man during the interview, but then he's, he's like completely unpredictable. Everything out of his mouth is a complete non sequitur. You have no idea what he's thinking. Yo, so can you can you shed some light on this one point that Hannibal is historic now in terms of what he did to Bill Cosby, that he started that avalanche that led to him righteously being in prison and having his name ruined and all that sort of stuff. How does he feel about that? I think he feels a weird burden about it because um, it, like it's not clear to everybody there's cognitive dissonance with Bill Cosby fans and he had millions of fans. You know what I mean? There's still people that like don't deny it. I mean, it's like impossible to deny it, but like at first black people were mad at Hannibal. Yes. <clears throat> black people were mad at Hannibal. So he yeah. would go into like a black club or something like that and feel tense because he felt like he ratted out this like black icon. Yes. But as time goes by, I mean, the Bill Cosby's like Jeffrey fucking Dahmer, dude. Like, like yeah. 52 women came forward. That means like it's probably 520 right. women. You know what I mean? For every right. one woman that came forward, right. there's probably 10 that didn't come forward. So right. the guy was like fucking John Wayne Gacy. He's <laughs> like a serial killer. But hey. I mean, I, I, so, I, felt- I don't know. I, I think he's done. I think he's sick of talking about it too there's just sure. like i think it's come up in every interview for the past six years and he's like that it, it, he doesn't want that to be his legacy he wants his material and his jokes to speak for themselves oh, so of i course. think it feels like a, i i felt the when you talk about black audiences being mad at him because i used to do uh, uh this college lecture about race and racism where i would open telling this Hannibal joke and I gave him credit. I didn't steal it, but the joke about, um, you know, how orange juice, how he loves to make orange juice and they see all the orange juice in the store. And the guy behind them is like, you know, why'd you buy all the orange juice? And he's like, you know, you can go get your own orange juice. And then, you know, he's like, I, I, I was for a moment, I was so happy about the orange juice that I was in a world where the guy was mad at me for buying all the orange juice and not because my girlfriend is white. And then I make a point about, racism and like living in a world where you don't focus on what white people are thinking and saying about us. Um, but there was definitely colleges where I'm like, you know, there's this joke by Hannibal Burris that like really sets up what I want to say about race. And people would kind of grow like, like a third of the audience would kind of groan. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You're mm. groaning about Hannibal fucking Burris telling the fucking truth. Are you fucking kidding me? Mm. Um, so Where were those colleges? Who were the gro- what race were the groaners? Oh, and black. What, black. What, what, what state were you in? Definitely Midwestern, definitely Midwestern black, maybe Southern black, uh-huh. somewhere uh-huh. in there. Yeah, um, I mean, race is forever touchy, right? It, uh, that's our, it's, uh, we're, we, we have a collective PTSD. Yeah. And we're, we're a traumatized nation, you know what I mean? And those wounds may never heal. So I think like with every, you can't win them all. 
I don't know. It's hard to talk about it objectively, or it's hard to have a perspective on it without pissing off somebody. I mean, look. Let's talk about let's talk about you and how you feel about blackness. I know that you're half Jewish. I'm actually getting surgery to become Filipino. I'm going to get <laughs> head to toe. I talked to some pretty experimental doctors, and uh, I'm changing my race. I mean, there's no black way of doing comedy, but there is a black aesthetic, and I think yeah. you stand apart from that. And um, I feel like you're just doing your your work and not sort of like trying to relate to some black aesthetic. Like, what do you think about that? I, I think I'm from the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm from Boca Raton, Florida. But also, I think that your comedy, who, who no matter who you are, no matter what race you are, your comedy has to be authentic. Authenticity yeah. is key. It's more important than the jokes. If people don't believe your point of view and, and, and smell that you're being... That you that you're not being authentic, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna come with you. They you, they don't even have to share your point of view. They just want you to have your own unique point of view. You know what I mean? Like you're not gonna agree even your favorite comics. You're not gonna agree with every point they're making. But if you're if they're interesting and they have a fascinating point of view, you kind of go along with them. So I have to I have to be myself, and I have to you know I, I don't want to be somebody I'm not. Yeah. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. No, I get a full, deep sense of authenticity from you and what you're doing. And I also want to say, I think the problem with television and black roles on television are like a lot of the black roles I was auditioning for were clearly written by middle-aged white guys that have never met a black person. Sure. And black people are the most diverse creative people on earth. So sure. I wanted to sh have a television show that showed the diversity of black people and not portray black stereotypes like the McDonald's voiceover commercial auditions I was going in for in 2005. When I would have to audition for a voiceover for a McDonald's commercial, I'd be like, mm, mm, this new McRib sandwich show is good, boss. <laughs> And I'd be like, when the fuck did Al Jolson write this dialogue? This is fucking a mess. And I'd look at every other black actor in the waiting room like, why? I wish we didn't have to do this for money. This is fucking humiliating. Like Frederick Douglass is rolling in his grave with each McDonald's voiceover commercial edition we have to do. <laughs> so I just wanted to show the depth and diversity of black performers on my show. I, I hope that I was thinking about something that you said, um, that Chappelle told you when I was watching eight forty six, which is you had said that Chappelle said, you don't have to be funny. You have to be interesting. Yeah. And your shit is always interesting and unpredictable Thank whether you. or not it's funny. I'm always like compelled. And that helped me understand eight forty six because it's not funny. It's not funny at all. Uh, except for like a moment here or there, but it yeah. is super interesting. Compelling, yeah, 100%. You're on the hook the whole time. 
you're not even thinking like, man, this isn't funny. Boo. You know what I mean? You're just like, you're fascinated by his point of view because he's got such a big brain that you want to know what his point of view is on every topic. And he's such, he's a historian. You know what I mean? I love that. He takes you through the timeline uh, in that set, you know? So he's just a fascinating, charismatic guy. I mean, there's a reason he's so successful. I think he's the number one stand up alive right now. Yeah. He's state of the art. Howard Stern goes, Dave Chappelle is state of the art. That's the state of the art of stand up comedy. There's like that, that, that is 21st century comedy. Do you have a, do you have a top five? If he's number one, who, you know, you don't have to rank them if you don't want to insult people, but who's your top five? Living. Yeah. Let's say living living. right now. uh, I love Amy Schumer. I love Chris Rock. I love Chappelle. I love Patton Oswalt. Um, Gosh, who did I see recently? Judah Friedlander's special is like one of the hardest I've laughed at a stand-up special. Reggie Watts. Mm. And Reggie Watts and Fred Armisen's specials were two of the most creative specials I've seen. Fred Armisen's drummer special? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stand-up Really smart. Really yeah, smart. yeah. And I went to music school, so I ate that shit up. That was yeah. like, that, that played directly to me. Um yeah, I like anybody that's like taking liberties with the genre and making their own kind of Rel's last special. Well, Rel, not Rel. I haven't seen Rel's most recent special, but the special that I saw before we started taping had me dying laughing. Um, I love Tiffany Haddish. I love Hannibal. Um, it's surreal that they're famous because I've been friends with them for fifteen years. You know, so. Um, yeah. Is it surreal to you that you're famous? I don't I, I forget that I'm famous until I go outside every day. <laughs> I don't think about that I'm on TV and I feel like I never feel satisfied with where I'm at in, in my career. I'm always at looking at the guy above me and oh so I, I never I never think I'm famous until I'm like at the like Chili's to go at the airport and then somebody's asking me for a selfie and I'm like, oh shit, I'm on TV. What the fuck? So surreal. Oh, so wait. Here. So Sorry, I'm getting, um, what did I order? Mole? One second. Hello? Oh yeah, you can just, you can come on up and just leave it on the table. Thank you so much. Thanks. I got some mole. I got, um, like poblano peppers i'm actually not making uh dip with it i'm making like like uh, some experimental cocktails okay there's a there's a bartender whose name is ivy mix she's in carol gardens i think okay and i just bought her a book yeah thank you so much yeah you leave it right there thank you um so uh i'm getting like kind of obscure ingredients for uh cocktails tonight my, my girlfriend's making some brisket and, okay uh, yeah how, yeah do you, uh, do you, do you, you're, you're begging me to ask how long has this been how long has what been the relationship you know we started hanging out uh last year but i went on tour so we really have only started spending full quality time with each other since January. Cause I wasn't in LA for like six months. I went on tour for like six months, you know, that would look, look at this. It's new. It's new. It's not lovely things going on outside here. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to be like those um, schmuck celebrities in that imagine video. <laughs> but like, <laughs> imagine my backyard. That's <laughs> all. Um, God, what do you? I got so, some fresh so, Tell me something. Since you're making cocktails, yeah, I'm actually taking a month off drinking. I'm going to start drinking next uh, Saturday. Okay, but outside of weed, what are you doing? What do you do? What do you do for drugs for real? Uh, you know what? I, I talk about drugs so much in my special, and I, I don't do them as much as I used to. But like, um. I like mushrooms. I like, I, I used to love MDMA, but I don't recover 
I'm 37. I don't recover from MDMA like I used to. It is like a slow recovery process. But that that used to be my favorite drug. Not crazy about K or Coke. I don't like in like anything in my nose. Um, it's not. It's a bad way to ingest a drug. Um, and I used to like acid, but it's like a long haul, and it is strong. I'm I'm kind of like aging out of it. You're coming I also down. Have so many just like stressors on my mind. Like you bring up like nine different things while I'm on acid, and I'll I'll, I'll spiral. MDMA is, uh, is is that the the death drug? No, that's Molly. You're thinking of DMT. You're getting DMT. Your... DMT. Yeah, that okay. I haven't done. I, I have to. Uh... Molly is the joyful. Have, have have a good time. Love Molly's everybody. Ecstasy. Molly is yeah. MDMA is the uh, active ingredient in ecstasy. No, I did that once with my wife when she's my girlfriend, and we decided to uh, call our grandmothers. Wow, what a choice. <laughs> Why? Because it's like, you know, you're in Why like... Why would you ever burden your grandmother with that? Because you're in like the super sweetest place on MDMA, and like who's the sweetest person in your world is like your grandmother. Yeah, I get that. I actually get that. And it was probably pleasant. Was it nice? It was very pleasant. I'm sure that my grandmother was like, you're acting a little weird, but had no idea why. I would get stoned out of my mind when I was a teenager and hang out with my grandma and she wouldn't notice and it would be pleasant. My, my, My parents, I'd be too nervous or my sister, I'd be too nervous to be stoned in front of, but I could get stoned in front of my grandma and she wouldn't really be, she would just, we would just like watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and it was cool. It was like, that was fine. See, when I, I, I quit weed, but when I used to get, high and occasionally in relatively recent years i would get stoned uh and and i would be able to have really good conversations with my mom because you write you <laughs> break down a bunch of barriers and now i can like really talk to you and like really like deal you know when i'm not stoned is you know like your, your your masks are up your barriers are up it was uh it's was, it was interesting what about dad? What's going on with dad? You don't bring up dad. Kids well, I, I mean, question. not for any reason. I mean, my father passed away two, about two years ago, a little oh, over two years ago. Sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, and he was sick for several years before that. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like five years that he really did not exist as like a person I could really just talk, talk how to. Old, how old was he? He was older. He was older. <laughs> I mean, I think he was, he was... He was definitely in his mid eighties, so he you're was, closer to mom. Um, I was cool. Now, now you're making me admit shit publicly. <laughs> That's <laughs> gonna fuck up my family. I was, clo- I was clo- closer to him. Yeah, I know. Right? I was closer to him when he was here. You know, now it's just her and my sister. But uh, I, I was definitely closer to him. Um, so you know, to see him. Sort He's of not fade from away. Senegal. Nobody's from Senegal. Your parents are American. Nobody's, everybody's American. Everybody's American. She was just reading about somebody in Senegal. I love so, Senegal. So, I love Senegal. Any, you, are you by, um, Dix? I don't know how to say it. Am I by what? There's a, there's a Senegalese restaurant in yes. Brooklyn. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. For, yes. I, they might have closed. They might have oh, no! closed before Corona on, on Fulton. Oh yes, and it, by the I'm pretty sucks, sure. I, yeah, so I good. I used to get I used to get the chicken from there, like when I was younger. But uh, I, I think they've been uh, gone for a minute. I think they've been gone for a minute. So wait, if I could, like, if I could, like, see inside your mind, like, what would it look like? What would it sound like? What would it be like? like an out-of-tune banjo player just like bang bong, bing, bong, bang, boing, bang, 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 <laughs> and like bugs bunny cartoon sound effects karuga karuga <laughs> you got a pretty good setup with like i got a consistent show i got a relationship with netflix you know, I got a movie coming up that's also going to be on netflix huh? so you know are are you like mapping out a strategy or you just sort of like i had an idea i executed on it i have no idea what i'm going to do next i'm year. ready to retire yeah and move to the south of france and just make uh exotic cocktails 
I'm hanging up the jersey. I mean, do you? So have I got plans? some more projects. I got some more projects in mind, but I'm very superstitious. I don't like talking about stuff until it's happening because that's when you like you jinx it. I don't know. But you do have a general goal for where you want to be in five years. I'd like to pay off my mortgage. <laughs> I like. I want to live abroad a little bit. I want. I, I wouldn't mind spending a couple of years of my life in Paris or something like that, just to get it out of my system. But um, career-wise or life-wise? I meant career-wise, but I'm loving the life goals. Career, career-wise, a continuation of the kind of work I'm doing now. I, I want to continue doing prank stuff. I'd want to continue doing um, animation. I want to, it's not really the medium. It's more like the project itself. I just want to keep, keep creating. I mean, I feel like, you know, like when we talk about drugs, you're like, I'm chilling out overall. Cause like I'm getting older, like, you know, you wonder like how long you continue on this road and you don't start to think, how do I transition into something that that continues to fit with my personal growth as I continue to grow as a person? I don't know. You can't, I don't think you can look at it too, like theoretically. I think you have to be, one of the best things I ever heard was that art isn't intellectual. Art is primal. Mm. So, and I, I agree with comedy and the temporal arts, like, like, <clears throat> I, I don't think you should overthink it. It's coming from like the animal parts of your mind, not, not your intellect. So it's coming from your emotions. And so I, I don't want to like, I never like to think about things too theoretically or academically with comedy. I like to just like listen to my intuition and see what is making me laugh and getting me excited about creatively. So what drives you? coffee just a ton of coffee when you when you get out of bed and you think about i gotta keep pushing this rock up the hill and put out more eric andre like what 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 is the thing that you're like ah, i want people to say i don't know i don't think about it like that i have i have a creative idea first and i kind of like weigh it in my mind and see if it has merit if it's producible um I don't think about it from like the audience's perspective. You know, I think about it from my own perspective and like, I want to do uh, what makes me happy. I don't know. I got the best job in the world. I totally lucked out. So you seem to have the best job in the world. So, all right. I ask everybody, what's your superpower? What do you do better than other people that's allowed you to have the success that you've had? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I'm still trying to get good at comedy. I think I have like a long way to go to be like, I want to be like more comfortable on camera. I'm like, I don't have any superpowers yet. I'm still, I'm still a mere mortal. You're more than a mere mortal. I appreciate that. I'm terribly insecure. Yeah. Um, any, any other uncomfortable questions you want to ask me that's going to fuck up my family or my life? <laughs> What's the last nice thing you've done for your wife? Oh my God. Are you kidding? I, I, I'll tell you. What'd you I'll do on Valentine's you. Day? Uh, no, not even Valentine's Day. Do you remember? Day. When's her birthday? When's her, her birthday just passed? May 22nd. Uh, What'd you get? A couple, couple weeks ago. Swear to God, that's um, I swear to God, that's my girlfriend's birthday, May 22nd. Shut up. I bullshit you not. I think I have it on my calendar. No, I mean, like, you know, you'll you'll see. it. You know, we got two kids. It's not about, like, whatever gifts that I can get you. And it's New York. Every fucking store is closed right now. But... I don't last, want excuses, man. I just no, want to tell you. I will tell you. Last yeah. last night, as every other night at one a.m., yeah. bring it, bring it. The kitchen was destroyed. Your boy was tired. I freaking got off my ass and I fucking cleaned the entire fucking kitchen. And so when she woke up, it was like spick and span. And right. like I try to do that every night. And like. That's kind of a, I actually, I, I had a conversation with a guy who was like an anti-consumerist and he said his gift to his wife one year for her birthday was, I will take over this chore. 
I'm not going to give you a thing. I'm going to fucking do this chore that you don't like That's from huge. now on. That's and I was like, I'm just going to fucking bust out the dishes in the whole kitchen yeah. every night, no matter yeah. what. And like, not be like, that's not my shit. Like, fuck that. Like, and, uh, and feels good. it feels good when you do them at night and it's all clean in the morning. It's a good feeling. I mean, you know, they can't, you can't leave it for the over fucking night. Yeah. Um, well, that's the good. Nice thing you did for your girl. I did the, di- oh, I didn't do the dishes last night, but I cooked, I cooked last night. She's a guy. I cooked her. I did a beer can chicken on the grill. Thanks so much to Eric for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garfano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shonda Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.